Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hooky Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by still not Mike McDaniel. He will be back next week for Old Dominion, or so he says. Do you have Ricky the Blue, though? Ricky, how are you, man? Doing good. Um, yeah, Mike, Mike's been threatening to to come back here for the the last couple weeks, um, and hopefully he actually will be back soon. To be fair to him, not, he was good to go for it yesterday, and then we decided to move it. And he said, I could yeah. probably make it. He might not even use a word as strong as probably. I think he said maybe. We took that and ran with it, and that's what we get. But we do have a special guest today. From, I guess he's kind of right down the street from where I am somewhere or another. He's a Charlotte resident. More importantly, former Virginia Tech starting offensive lineman, John McLaughlin, joining us. John, how you doing, man? What's going on, fellas? Thank you all for having me, man. I'm excited to talk some hokey football with you guys. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because the season is right around the corner. We're excited to talk about it. But first, we got to talk about our friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street downtown Blacksburg is a healthcare provider you want to go to if you want one that truly cares about you. So be a neighbor, not a number. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. So, gentlemen, hope is about in Blacksburg, Brett Pry coming over, taking over for Justin Fuente, and Virginia Tech football is out of that kind of weird purgatory that it's been in, you know, over the course of the last few years, simply because Fuente was on the hot seat for a while. It was some of the fan base was vehemently against him. Ultimately, it seemed like everyone turned, and then by late fall last year, he was out the door. But Brent Pry's come in. He's energized this program. A lot of work left to do. Right now today, gentlemen, I have a lot of friends who are really excited about this season, not just because of the the changing of the guard, if you will, but because they feel like Virginia Tech has a chance to really put together a good season and make a run. I look at this roster and I say, it's year one, let's pump the brakes. What do you guys think? Well, um, I'm with you on that. I'm, honestly, I am with you. Let's pump the brakes. Let's give it some time. Let's see what happens this season. Um, I, I think everyone is excited because we've been missing that interaction between, you know, uh, head coach and fan base and all that good stuff. So I feel like that's why everybody's pumped, you know, because they, they haven't seen it in the last six years. And granted, I played for Puente. And he is a guy that is very nerve. He doesn't want anybody knowing what's going on. He keeps everything in house. That's just that was his coaching style. That's how he was. But when you saw something for the last twenty five years, with well, the last twenty seven years with Coach Beamer, him being open to the fan base, letting them know what's going on, and then you change that, the fan base got some problems with it. You know what I mean? Well, other things that went on with the season as well. But I think that's why everybody's so excited because they they got that back. You know, you know. So we're gonna see, man. I'm just really. I'm I'm really excited about it, you know, that the fan base actually feel involved and they're they're ready to go, but we we got to give Matt some time. That's all I'm going to say. John, I'm curious to know cuz you went through a similar situation in 2016 where you were ingrained in a specific culture in Blacksburg and in that football program. Can you give us some insight as to what these players have been going through since the start of spring and how these guys are having to make a huge adjustment. What all goes into that, and and how difficult can that adjustment be from a player's perspective? Man, it's it's really difficult. Um, I, I would say from not even head coach position, just position coach in general, because you don't you don't spend a lot of time with the head coach like people think. You know, that is your head coach. That's the main that's the main man. But those position coaches change. I had three office line coaches within my four years. So it's saying that every year was like having to prove yourself again. Well, you always got to prove yourself, but having to build another relationship with a coach, it can be very difficult. It can be really difficult. So um, I always put it like this. When Grimes came in, man, he was he was my guy. He loved me. We was, you know, we was gelling. When Cyril's came in, he moved me to the right. So me and Cyril kind of had some back and forth. And then I got to know Cyril's. He got to know me. So it was, it was a better relationship my third year, my junior year, which was Cyril's second year. So – you build a relationship with the coach, but I, I would say when Fuente came in, he needed he needed the seniors, so it was a little different than what we experienced because I was a senior, I was the leader on the team, and he kind of let us lead the team. 
Um, but it, it can be very difficult, especially for, you know, younger players. They get recruited by a coach. That coach leaves. You know, all these changes and all these things that go through. So it can be re really, really difficult. But um, I think I think the way Pra has done it has been the right way. Um, he's tried to keep players that he can. And the ones that, you know, he, he's, I'm sure he's met with every player to say, hey, this is what the standard is. This is what I got going on and make their decision from there. So um, I, I think the way Pra has done it, that's the way you got to do it. You know, you got to be welcoming. You can't go in there like, you know, I'm the man. This is my program. You have to, you know, be welcoming. You have to be that coach, that, that friendly coach, especially that first year in. You, you have to prove to the players that you are able to coach them. So um, I, I think it's been a, a, you know, in my experience, I, I feel like the way Pro's done it, it'll be a easier transition um, from coach to coach. And to kind of piggyback on that, what made 2016 work so well for you guys? Because – the roster didn't change a ton. I mean, obviously, Gerard comes in and, and brings a level of talent and, pr and productivity to the quarterback position that really hadn't been there. But so much of the roster was the same. How did you guys grow so much under Fuente in year one? And, and, and how can this same group of players, or well, not the same group of players, but this same program do the exact same thing under Brent Pry? I would definitely say the big thing you you named already was Gerard Evans coming in there, man. Like that, that kid was a stud, you know, and him coming in there and doing what he did. We we, we saw that we, we didn't, you know, no offense to the guys that were before him, like Brewer, you know, they just weren't that type of quarterback that we need, you know, that we needed. And they, Gerard fit so perfectly for Fuente's offense. Um, he did run the ball a lot and all that good stuff, but we had weapons all over the field, man, like Bucky, Cam, Isaiah. Uh, we had a you know pretty much returning offensive line, and you know our running game wasn't that strong, but we had, we had a good you know good running game. But it was everything just clicked, and I think that that season we just said you know we we got to get to the AC championship, man. Like we've been hearing about it when we came in in 2013, we was still a part of that era that was you know um, they've been to the AC championship. We've heard about the Sugar Bowls, we've heard about the Orange Bowls, and. The, that three years that went by, we we didn't experience any of that. Like we was in Shreveport, Louisiana, for the Liberty. Like nobody wants to go to Shreveport, you know what I mean? So um, <laughs> at least somebody said it. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, man, no nobody wanted to go to Shreveport. I mean, we had a good time. It was a good bowl, you know, way to end Coach Beamer's season. But we were itching for that, man. We was itching for like a little bit of success. So we we took over, man. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be completely honest. Like guys, like you know me, Sam Rogers, Chuck Clark. We, we took over that team, man. We controlled the locker room. Leadership was a big key. Like, we, we had leadership before, but that year we was we was all in. And we had a good relationship with Fuente. I know everybody likes to bash Fuente, but he came in and was like, seniors, I need you guys. I need you guys to lead this team, and let's get it done. And that was the main focus, is getting back to the Asian Championship. Fell short by seven, but, you know, that was, that was something that we can say we accomplished and we won the Coastal. And something that we were looking forward to our, our whole four years. So that that year was a little different, I'll say. And, and something that hasn't been done since. I think, though, like, you know, you, we talk about that transition in 2016 and, and being able to lean so heavily on that leadership. And maybe that's something that's sort of lacking here with Virginia Tech right now. I mean, you know, you look at the defensive side of the ball, filled with future pros. The offensive line had a lot of veteran experience. Once again, Wyatt Teller. A future pro, you know, on the outside, Bucky and Cam had been the and Isaiah had been the guys who had been doing it, you know, since they were freshmen, right? So you just insert that piece with Gerard, and it's made simple at that point. However, it becomes a little more complicated now, right? You look at the outside, and with Lofton, you have a guy who showed some flashes maybe at the end, but nothing, you know, not not a true resume to build on. Plenty of potential stories that we've heard but nothing truly there. With Caleb Smith, you have a guy who was that perennial number three, if you will, behind Tavion Robinson and Trey Turner, who, you know, say what you will about those two guys. Maybe they weren't the best receivers in the ACC, but you knew what you got from them. And then you bring in Jaden Blue for Temple, who had a really good season in 2020, kind of fell off a little bit in 2021. Can he be the player he was two years ago while playing at a higher level? Like, these are questions that people don't generally have the answers to. And then at the quarterback position, it's like, can Grant Wells make that big step up? I think you look at the defensive side of the ball, and maybe that's where the leadership is going to come from, but you have two units. You know, how do you think this year 
unknown factor and, and maybe the lack of formal chemistry among these offensive players is going to play a role as, you know, they got to get in sync and they got to do it in a hurry here with a uh, couple of challenging games in the month of September. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the big thing is the quarterback position, man. If, if you don't have a good quarterback, you got no hope, you know, and we've been seeing this like a quarterback play the last couple of years, you know, just with inconsistency of, uh, you know, injuries or what, whatever, whatever happened, you know, with, with the last year at, quarter, at the quarterback position. But when you start there and then you work around that, you have a successful season. So I think this, this year is all going to be determined on how Grant Wells play. And on the offensive side of the ball, I would say. Um, and it's up to him to be a leader on the team. You're, you want you want to hear that from your quarterback. Like I mentioned when we had Gerard, Gerard was always chirping at the other team. He had that swag. He was the guy. He was the, he was honestly one of the le- leaders on the team, and the team follows that. The team is like, all right, let's do it. Our quarterback's balling. Let's do it. So um, I think that's going to be a major key, man. Grant Wells has to step up with his leadership this year. Um, I, I'm not sure, you know, what, 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 what's taking place, if he's – vocal or anything like that, but it, it has to happen at the quarterback position, especially with a new coach, new team, um, new atmosphere, and he has to play well and take care of the football. So um, when, when you talk about the defensive side of the ball, you, you got those veterans, guys. You got Dax, and, you know, you got guys, t- uh, Tizzy on the linebacker position. Like, those, those guys are good players, and they're good leaders, and they've shown that they, they can lead the team. Um, Dax is a captain, so I'm expecting a lot out of him. He's been here eight years, so – it's time for him to be vocal as well. So, um, yeah, so it, it goes with defense, offense. You have to figure out who the leaders are, but it always starts with the quarterback. We've talked a lot about leadership so far, and I think this offense is going to rely heavily on their ability to run the football, uh, given kind of the the lack of proven talent on the outside at, at wide receiver and at tight end, for that matter. How beneficial is it to have – two redshirt seniors on the on the offensive front and Jordan and, and, and Silas. I mean Silas has been here for a long time now. Um if there's anyone on this on this team that bleeds maroon and orange, it's him. He's been here long enough now. How beneficial is it to have those fifth and sixth year guys um to be able to lead some of the guys that are behind them that maybe are a bit more talented but need to mature a little bit. Uh, that's very important. It's very important for, um, you know, everything starts up front. So it's very important for Silas to lead that group. Because he, like you said, he's been there for six years. Um, Johnny Jordan as well. He's a guy that's played a lot of football. He's been in two programs. So mm-hmm. that that's very important. And I, I look at it like there's five, right? And there's one on the end, there's one in the middle. You control that side, I control this side. And let's make it work, you know? So that's how I'm looking at it. And I feel like having those guys as, as leaders um, is, is very important. It's going to be very uh, crucial this year on how that group not only leads the starting five, but as well as behind them because they are really standing behind. There's a lot of freshmen behind them. As, as a lot, you know, lack of depth right now. Um, but I, I do think Coach Rudolph is, is an amazing coach. Um, you know, me knowing college football, he's had some studs. He's, he's coached at Wisconsin. Like, that's the O-lineman's dream right there. Like, They've always been great. So I, I think they, they have the leader in that room and they have the coach as well. So that, that also is going to help with the lack of depth. They're coached well. We're not gonna, they're going to play hard. So I'm, I'm honestly excited to see that group. And that's kind of what I talk to a lot of people about when I say that people have very high expectations for this season and maybe I'm trying to cool the Jets. And you know, I'm not here to rule out the possibility of Virginia Tech succeeding. Now, success – could be modest for me. An eight-win season would be a success. But I can't even guarantee that they're going to get there because like, kind of like what we talked about with last season, right? It was, I mean, there's plenty of talent on this team, but things got to go right all the time. And by the way, an injury at the quarterback position is going to spell doom. And guess what happened immediately when you have a running quarterback? Injury at the quarterback position. And then you end up in a situation like that a horrific night game on a Friday at Boston College where Virginia Tech couldn't – I don't think they got a passing yard until about a minute before halftime, and it was on a screen, right? To that example, quarterback is not going to be the issue because I don't know how good Grant Wells is going to be, but we know we have a solid backup in Jason Brown, which in the transfer portal era are hard to come by. But on the offensive line, 
I, I think that a lot of fans felt coming in through, I guess, the summer, right, that they were going to go try to find someone to add some depth to that offensive line. But again, it's really hard to convince someone to transfer to a program where they're not going to be a guaranteed starter. Because they, even if they're at a mid-major right now, a group of five school, they'd rather stick it out and play there and then come to Virginia Tech next year when they feel they could be a starter than go and ride pine. So you look at the tackle position with Jancy on one side and Parker Clements on the other. Is there anyone as a backup tackle that you feel comfortable with right now? We definitely don't know enough. No one has proven themselves on the outside at this point. I mean, Parker Clements has barely proven himself. Uh, you know, he's 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 one of those guys that has shown flashes but hasn't been able to be a consistent producer at the college level. So maybe that's something he can do this year. And and that's kind of why I I wanted to to ask John's opinion on Silas because he's the guy at tackle this year he's going to have to to bring some of those guys along with him and i think there are some some guys that are going to be next to him that can play but as as john can attest to there's a learning curve still no matter how talented you are and silas is going to have the responsibility of trying to bring those guys along with him and it, it it's going to be tough at times you know one of the things that that justin fuente said during his tenure that that definitely rung true there's no doubt about it Virginia Tech football games more often than not under Justin Fuente were three and a half hour stomach aches right like it was it was just gut-wrenching uncertainty from the get-go you were nervous you were anxious it was all, almost always close you know the, the game was always in the balance basically up until the last couple minutes either way like win or loss and I think this year is going to be a lot of the same way. I think you're going to see a lot of close games. I don't think Virginia Tech is going to get blown out uh, very often this season. There could be one game where they they just really miss fire from the get-go and never get going. But I do believe that given the schedule, which according to Mike McDaniel is not soft, but I will say that this schedule is pretty soft, um, I think Virginia Tech could at least be competitive, and that's why – I don't think six and six is is unlikely. Um, seven and five is certainly a possibility. I think eight and four is kind of stretching it, but Virginia Tech can definitely get to a bowl game in this scenario. And I think the seven wins is certainly within reach because I do believe in the coaching staff. I believe there's enough talent on the roster, and I think they're going to be competitive more often than not. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right, Ricky. I mean, for all this conference realignment talk, it's a good thing Virginia Tech's not in the Big Ten East right now because things could go sideways in a hurry. But the reality is Duke was bad and they've gotten worse. UVA, yes, they still have Brendan Armstrong at the quarterback position. But, I mean, they were I, – I think they're, you know, out of 130-some-odd FBS teams, bottom 10 in both offense and defense returning production. Essentially, they have Armstrong back and a bunch of question marks. Do either of you guys understand the love for Pitt this year? I don't. Hey, but um, like they they lost they lost Pickett and the Blitnikoff Award winner, and right. people are expecting them to win nine, ten games. Well, they did get USC's quarterback, who wasn't bad, and was a highly rated recruit. And I mean, like at the end of the day, when you look at the rest of the division, who do you go in feeling confident about? Can't feel confident right. about Carolina. Can't feel confident about. I UVA. don't feel confident about anybody. That's kind of my point. Is that I mean, even even the teams that are perceived to be at the top, right, which would be Pitt and Miami, they can lose to anybody in the division, maybe outside of Duke, right? I I, I think we can all Georgia agree Tech. that. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah. So, but everyone else in this division is not that far apart. I don't think there's a lot of separation between a team like Pitt and a team like Miami and a team like Virginia Tech. Yes, Virginia Tech is below those those folks on paper as of right now. But is the gap that big? I'm not sure that it is. But we, we, yeah. we can't definitively answer that until we see what this team looks like. Right? Yeah. At yeah. least on the yeah. offensive yeah, side sure. of the ball. But, but in just a, for, you know, prognosticating for the season, given that we don't have any football to go off of, my, my position right now is that the, the, the gap is not that wide. Now – 
it could turn out to be different, but I don't know what you think, John, but I don't think the gap is really that big at the moment. I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think the hype off of just Pitt winning the ACC championship was something that they had to go off because ACC media, they have no idea who to pick right now because everybody oh. looks like they're on the same level, you know? Um, Not so to mention I, the I ACC media is known for their awful picks every year. That's true. That is true. That is true. <laughs> but um, I think that's why the hype is around Pitt because nobody in the Coastal can have proven himself yet, you know, and nobody's hopeful of them having a good season. So I feel like they had to go with Pitt, but um, a, lot, a lot. I mean, what I'm hearing is a lot of people are thinking Miami's back and all this stuff because they have a returning quarterback, but um, I don't. I don't see them being that great either. So Pitt. I mean, uh, the coast is always wide open, but this year is definitely wide open. You know. So yeah, we're gonna see. <laughs> in the final in the final year of coastal chaos, it, it should be uh, a grand finale, if you will, uh, of just right. the chaos that we've come used to. But so. John mentioned earlier, like, you don't have a good quarterback, you're toast, right? And Virginia Tech fans, new coach, a lot of big names circulating. They offered a lot of guys. Ultimately, they end up with two names, probably didn't register with the fan base during the prognostications. And Grant Wells obviously has been named the starter. Wells, uh, not a very sought-after player out of high school. I looked, and I think he was the – 93rd ranked quarterback in its class, actually ranked significantly below Old Dominion's quarterback. Now, obviously, we have a sample size to go off of since then. High school recruiting rankings don't matter all that much at this point. But that being said, Wells, like, you know, playing in Conference USA showed a gunslinger mentality, uh, which obviously led to some good, but also some bad. You know, kind of, um, you know, Kind of like Ryan Willis. Kind of like Ryan. Willis, you think? Essentially, I got I got killed for that comparison after he signed. And John, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. But Grant Wells definitely feels like Ryan Willis all over again. Yeah, well, I, I saw some flashes in the spring game, um, and I was like, man, this this guy can kind of sling it. You know, him and uh, Caleb Smith, their connection is good, and I think uh, Grant Wells is going to play well because Jason Brown is right there. And that, that put that put pressures on you. That put pressure on you to perform well, take care of the football every week because you have another quarterback that can come in and take your position. Literally week two, you know, if you're not playing yeah. well, Brown's coming in. So I think Wells know that, and he's going to take care of the football. He's going to do what he needs to do. Um, I, I think he's going to surprise people. I do. I saw, I saw some flashes in the spring game. I'm like, this guy can sling it, man, and he, he looked good to me. I don't know how much of a runner he is, but. Um, it looked good to me if we if we can keep that offensive line healthy and keep him clean. I I think he'll do all right. And uh, with you know with the new offense and new offense coordinator, I think they're going to emphasize taking care of the football. Yeah, I mean, and I think the gunslinger mentality should be a little more welcome these days, given the the predicted outcomes offense that Justin Fuente was running. It's amazing that Ryan Willis was able to turn the ball over that much in the predicted outcomes offense. But with that being said, I just think that Ryan Willis may have committed to the wrong style of offense when he transferred to Virginia Tech. Because obviously, I think in the the fact that he has been on NFL rosters and stuff and you know played in that lower tier pro league and was like the MVP of the league or something like that, I think he was he was better than some Virginia Tech fans might remember him to be. But nonetheless, I I, I think that. Airing it out a little bit more, giving the quarterback a little more freedom. Uh, obviously, it's going to come with some disappointments if Wells shows himself to be the quarterback that he has been for the last two years at Marshall. But you know, it, it should provide some excitement. And you know, when you look at this offense, given the questions around the health of Malachi Thomas right now, given Jalen Holston, unless he can take a big step up, you know, not being a top tier ACC back by by really any means. They might have to air it out to keep themselves in games. And I, I think Grant Wells does provide that. It's just like, can he be a, a top half of the ACC quarterback? I think if Grant Wells is a top seven or eight ACC quarterback, then like that six, seven wins will come easy, assuming that you know the offensive line doesn't all get hurt at the same time or something like that. I think There's a lot just of so it's much- going to depend on the defense. 
as well as Grant might, may or may not play, like the, they, they need the defense to keep them in games. I, I think anybody can look at this roster and, and tell that this is not like a 32, 34 point a game offense. Um, now, if I'd, I'd love to be wrong, right? Like that, that'd be amazing. But the chances that this offense is, is the unit that's really winning the team games this year is unlikely. Um, there's more talent on the defensive side of the ball. That's Brent Pry's specialty. There's more experience on the on the defensive side of the ball. Ultimately, that's the unit that's going to have to hold this team up. Um, if they can, if they can just keep it competitive, then yeah, the, I, I think Grant Wells can can get some stuff done in order to get this team to 24, 28, 31 points. You know, every every few weeks, but. Um, if Grant Wells is having to get in a shootout, right, and he's having to put up 38, 40 plus, that that's going to spell disappointment, I think, for Tech fans because that's that's not what this offense is designed to be. Grant Wells doesn't have the the weapons around him. He doesn't have the consistent talent at running back in order to be able to put up an offense like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, defense is going to have to step up, and one one thing I think that needs to happen is we have to rush the passer, man. We we cannot let the other team sit back there, make a sandwich. That D-line has to get to the quarterback. That's that's a main part of our defense. I mean, we know... And that's something that's been missing in Blacksburg for a couple of years now. Absolutely. That there hasn't absolutely. been that real... Like, what we thought after week one against Carolina that we were like, holy crap, this pass rush is really, really good. And right. then it wasn't. Um Right. Right. And I was actually having a discussion with a buddy of mine, and the last Virginia Tech player on the defensive front that was really, really disruptive was Woody Barron. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. And and that's that's a few years ago now, right? So, right. I mean, can right. can them. Yeah, that that that, well, that whole defensive line. You know, they they were. You know, Woody was definitely on top of that that whole line, but you had Trayvon Hill that can get back after the quarterback. I, I saw that kid get better and better every day. Um, Ken, he, he's a veteran. Woody, like, that's what we're missing. You know, we're missing those guys that can absolutely get to the quarterback and get you a sack. Um, those, those sack numbers have not been great. We, we need mm-hmm. to rush the quarterback. And I don't want those sacks coming from, you know, the corner position or the linebackers. I want our defensive ends getting to the quarterback, you know. So I think that's something that, that needs to happen for a great defense to take place, you know. And we already know linebacker position – we got Dax, we got uh, Tisdale back there. Like, we already know they're going to be good. Um, but they have we have to rush the pass there and stop the run up front. Do this line. Yeah, and, and, you know, on the defensive end position, I think that one of the players that's going to bring veteran experience, of course, Taiwan Garbett. But on the other side, is it Cole Nelson? Is it C.J. McCray? And can one of those two guys – you know, really emerge as a disruptive force because, you know, to John's well, point, first, not, not a ton of depth there, but, you know, if you can't get that pressure, it's on Darrell Fowler, all day. Fowler, yeah, it's on him too. Yep, for sure. I mean, he's, he's a, I believe he's a captain, right? For, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going to be one of the most experienced guys on the on the defensive front, him and Garbett probably have the most playing, you know, playing time snaps on the field. And you're, you know, you've got that C on your chest. It's on it's on you to kind of yeah. lead the way and and to really start causing havoc. And we've seen that he can do that at times. That there are times when he really gets going and he's really disruptive, but we need that more consistently. It has to be through long stretches of the game, multiple weeks out of the year, you know, multiple weeks in a row where he's really starting to cause problems. And he's got to take a bit of ownership on that. For sure. For sure. And I, I miss having those pass rushes, man, like Daddy Nicholas, James Gale, Luther Maddie. Yeah. Like those guys, those guys made us better. Like You knew we Daddy could blow up a play at any point. Exactly. And at one point when I first got to Tech, Daddy was second stream. <laughs> J.R. Collins is in front of him. So mm-hmm. I, we need to get those guys back up front, man. Like, our defensive line was a major part in Bud Foster's defense. A lot of people don't see it because they don't get, you know, they don't, they don't get the glory and all that good stuff, but they caused havoc back then. And that's what we need back this year. We need that to happen right now to have a good defense. 
Yeah, and it's all interconnected, right? Because, yeah. you know, on the defensive side of the ball, being able to get to the quarterback, though that's where you find, you know, outside of the interception, which, by the way, those interceptions tend to be, at least in part, a result of that pressure that's on the quarterback, forcing him to make a decision that he otherwise wouldn't make. Uh, that's when you get those true momentum swings, right? That's when you get Lane Stadium to erupt. And it seemed like, you know, during the, the Beamer-Foster era, uh, you know, even going into early Fuente, it was those moments on the defensive side of the ball, the sack that immediately followed that key play, that truly gave you that home field advantage in, inside Lane Stadium, keeping the fans engaged all throughout. And it, it seems like over the last couple of years, it's unfortunately been more of a a demoralizing First and second down, all good. And then they just chip, chip, chip away uh, on third down. I'd love to, you know, do some deep research into the advanced stats on third down efficiency, but we just know that generally the sack numbers are down. Teams pass the yeah. ball more on third down. And that's kind that, of that last that last drive at Notre Dame last year. I would say if the defensive line got out to the quarterback, that drive is not happening. You know, it, yeah. it's fourth down already, and it, it's time to – we won the game, it's time to go home. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about, like, deflating. Like, you go out there in a situation where, statistically speaking, you feel like Virginia Tech really should win this game. Like, they got to drive the entire field in two minutes? Okay. But just any positive – they just couldn't shut the door. They just couldn't shut the door. And Notre Dame marches down the field. A true pass rush changes the equation – and, you know, we're going to rely right now on a number of guys who aren't bad players by any means, but at no point in their career to this point have stepped up to that next level. And I'm talking about, you know, the interior defensive linemen with Pollard and Kendricks. Uh, Fuga as well, someone that they've talked about a lot over the course of the offseason. I believe he was like the most improved player of the spring. What kind of impact is he going to have? Can he be that big unstopping force on the inside? If, again, any Addition would be huge. You've got Garvin on the other side, has been a plus player. Can he be a all-ACC caliber player? You know, in a short period of time, you have to hope this new coaching staff has had an outsized impact in, in a way, that, taking these guys to a level that, you know, they, they haven't been able to get to. And that, by the way, that evaluation includes Dax Hollyfield and Alan Tisdale, who have been the mainstays in the middle since they got here. And in the case of Dax, certainly the most notable player within the program, at least in terms of you know, program brand and popularity. And it's been that way pretty much since he was a freshman, right? Big four-star recruit coming out of the state of North Carolina, gets the chance to you know, be a starter nearly right away. But it seems like he's kind of leveled out. It's like, can these two guys, who should be good, they've been teetering between good and average their entire career, but can they be great? Can they be top four or five linebackers, in the, or at least a, as a unit? Can they be top four or five in the ACC? Because I think that any anticipation of success for Virginia Tech is baking that into the cake. And I think even some ACC media and, and even nationally look up. Dax Hollyfield's back. Could be a really good linebacker core. Yeah, yeah, he's you, been getting you a lot of – You watch the film, they, they got a lot to prove. Yeah, Dax has been getting a lot of positive – coverage this offseason and and so is the the linebacking core in general but Andrew you and I both know over the course of last season what was one of the big things that you Mike and myself were always complaining about after games and it was the linebacker play they missed tackles they, being out yeah, of position the, the missed tackles were awful they were running themselves out of gaps um and that cannot happen this year i think they're going to be a lot better under Brent Pry I think he's going to be able to hold them accountable and at least get them in the right position. Now, whether or not they make all the physical plays, you know, that's a toss-up. But we know Tisdale's a good athlete. We know Dax is strong. You know, I, I think Dax is very good inside a phone booth. Outside of that, it's a bit better hit, bit of hit or miss. Um, but there is definitely some talent there at linebacker, and um, it's it's incumbent on Dax, I think, to kind of lead the way. Um, but you know, someone like Jaden Keller, who has started to get some, some publicity lately and 
as someone who might be able to fight his way into a starting spot, is he able to kind of light a spark in that unit? Um, that would that would certainly be helpful. Do you guys have anything to add before we start running through the schedule? Because I think we ought to put some some stuff down on paper and talk about wins and losses. Uh, let's just go for it. All right. So week one, right in my backyard. I'm actually going to the game. No, no. Um, at ODU, we know what happened the last time Tech went there. Uh, John, win or loss? I'm I'm saying win. And I, I got a question, Ricky. Did you go to the last one? No. Okay, we're gonna win. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I didn't. I was I was actually working during the game, and um, you didn't miss much. It was it was not a fun shift, Andrew. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a win. I think it'll be a lot more. Like, if there's any game that has the potential to be a three-hour stomachache, though, it's this one. You know, new team, yeah. new coach, first year again, first-year head coach going up against the offensive coordinator for his former employer, who he okay, works with. A lot of with. familiarity there. A lot of familiarity. Uh, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'd be surprised if they blew him out. I wouldn't be incredibly surprised, but I think a ten-point win sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. I'm also going win. Uh, next week, Tech hosts Boston College. Uh, Andrew, you know I'm a big fan of Jeff Halfley. I think he's a good, very good coach. Um, I'm picking Boston College to win that game. I, I have to agree. Just think, I mean, the atmosphere is going to be great, but it's still early. You know, this team still got to get their feet under them. I think Boston College is enough returning talent to take the victory at lane, unfortunately. I'm picking Okies there, man. It's the first home game. Um, I think it's going to be really close. I think it's literally going to be come down to a field goal um, either way, honestly. But I think the Hokies going to pull it out. I don't see the hype around Boston College. And I don't think we'll see the same game as we saw last year. That, when we talk about stomach ache, that was a stomach ache. So um, I'm going Virginia Tech. That would definitely be a huge win for the Hokies if they can pull that one off. I think that would get them – to maybe a spot where they can go 4-0 for the first four weeks and then really they start to really get in the meat and potatoes of the schedule. We all picking dubs on Wofford? Yep. Only game I have. No intention to attend. <laughs> yep. Got a dub right. on that one. All right. Black Diamond Trophy in Lane Stadium. Um, I'm going to – so I was kind of fighting with myself on the BC and West Virginia game, and I told myself that I got to pick a loss in one of them. Uh, so that means I'm picking a dub against West Virginia. Yeah, I'm picking a dub too. I don't think West Virginia is that good. I think that you know, it's a team who, you know, you talk to fans, alumni, media who cover West Virginia. They feel like they're in a very tough spot right now. And Neil Brown's on his last leg. They lost a lot from last year. This could be the one where the, the atmosphere carries the Hokies, even if there's a bit superior talent on the other side. Give me the Hokies. Same. I got the uh, Hokies going 4-0 to start the season. You know, that that's a that's a stretch there, especially with the Boston College game, but I I, I think we're going to pull this one off. I don't see West Virginia being as talented as they were last year. Um, and it's at home. Big time game. Big time game. Nation's watching. Can't wait for that one, man. That's going to be a huge game, especially for the Brent Pry era, um, to get that trophy back because we, I've never played West Virginia, and that trophy just sat in the office. So uh, we need we need it back. So I'm, I'm going Hokies. Yeah, Pry can really endear himself to the fan base if he if he wins this one. This sure, is a sure. this is a really important one for some of the older fans. Um, for some of the younger fans, it's the next week, which is Carolina. Um, I am going to pick a loss. Now, if this game was in Lane Stadium, I think I would pick a win. Uh, but I'm going with a loss at UNC. Yeah, this is an August toss-up. I'll give UNC defensively some credit. I mean, they have so many four-star recruits, some of them got to improve eventually. So I'm going to say that in a game that it could be close, and who knows, by the time uh, by the time the preview for this game rolls along, we could all have a very different opinion. But right now on the road, yeah. give me the Tar Heels. All right, John. I hate, I, I hate doing this because I hate North Carolina, but I do think we're going to be feeling ourselves at four and zero 
and we're going to go in, into North Carolina not with the same hunger. Um, I, I think that was, one, that was going to be close, too. I don't see the hype around North Carolina, if there is any. Never see the hype in it. They're soft. Um, Mac, Brown, but, Mac Brown's a fraud. Anyone who wears Mac, Argyle on their uniforms is is a fraud. Man, Mac Brown's probably retiring here soon. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's time. It's time. It's about time. It's time for him to go. But uh, I'm going to see this game. I, I think we're going to, uh, like I said, fill ourselves. We're going to be four and zero. So um, I'm, I'm thinking that was going to be a loss. All right. Uh, we can still call it the catch-up bottle on this podcast, even if it's not Heinz Field any longer. Um, I'm going with the Panthers to win this one, unfortunately. Yeah, same here. We've never had any luck there before. Pitt might be Except overrated. Except for 2016. That's true. Hey, that was my birthday. That was my birthday, too. It was on October hey. 27th. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Man, that was a great game. But, uh, yeah, same. I'm going Pitt. I'm going Pitt with that one. Yeah, Pitt might be overhyped at 17th in the country preseason, but I still think it's a loss. Dom, really quick, how how funny was it for you to watch uh, Pat Narduzzi not make any adjustments in that 2016 game when when Isaiah and Cam and Bucky kept making those plays and on the on kind of the jump balls, and Pitt just kept letting them do it. <laughs> Man, so funny funny story about that. I'm I'm kind of nervous that game because they have a really talented defensive end, Price. I think it's a lot a larger Price. That was his name. So I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna have to block in the whole time, but you know, let's go. So I'm amped up about it. We slid away from that kid the whole game. Like we did a full line protection to the left. We threw the ball up to Isaiah Bucky or Cam the whole inside like the whole game. And we're watching Narduzzi lose his stuff on the sideline. Oh, it was hilarious. Man. I was oh, in the press box for that game and um Jason Stam and I were just laughing our ass off because oh, yeah. Pat how Pat was losing his damn mind. <laughs> All right. Um, Atlanta Stadium. Uh, this has got to be a night game, probably, um, against sure. the Canes. Uh, John, I don't know about you, but I'm picking Miami here, unfortunately. Man. Um, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Miami, too, man. That's, that's, that's a tough one because they do got a returning quarterback. Um, I, I don't know if that would be as close. Um, hopefully, we can get some points on them early, but. I'm going Miami with that one. Yeah, I'm taking Miami as well. Returning quarterback, they seem to improve as the year went on last year. I think Mario Cristobal is going to be a notably better coach than his predecessor. Should be a fun one, Lane, but I got Miami. Tough stretch. Yeah, Yeah, this is a, a brutal stretch, and we have now picked Virginia. All three of us have picked Virginia Tech to lose these last three games. So because of that, I'm picking an upset here. Uh, Tech is going to beat NC State in Raleigh. I do not believe that will happen. <laughs> I think NC State, it's like, just all the returning talent. I had to pick their to their pick preseason one. ranking actually makes sense. I had to pick one upset on the schedule, and this is the one I think is I think is going to happen. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I agree. That's that's honest. That's my birthday as well, and I think I'm going to make that trip. Um, to Raleigh because uh, I went to Raleigh for as a recruit and that was a, a great experience. So um, I'm excited about that one, man. I, I don't know why they're ranked 13th. I think they should be in the 20s um, if they're even ranked. But uh, I'm going uh, Virginia Devin Tech. Devin Leary. They love yeah, they do. Devin Leary. They do. They do. They do. But uh, I'm going. I'm going Virginia Tech on that one as well. All right, Andrew is Debbie Downer picking four straight L's. I can imagine <laughs> he's going to change his tune on this one. Virginia Tech hosting Georgia Tech, who will be fighting uh, the Duke Blue Devils for conference dweller, well, I should say maybe division dweller in the Coastal. John, what are you thinking? I'm going Virginia Tech here. Um, I don't I don't think Georgia Tech it. I don't think they they, they ain't hitting on nothing, and they they honestly having a hard time being. I think. Um, getting those big time players in there, and if our defensive line, offensive line don't have a field day the last four games, then we have a problem. But I'm going Virginia Tech. Andrew, Georgia Tech. Uh, yeah, and Jeff Collins get fired after the game. <laughs> that would be a that'd be a pretty pretty crazy ending. Um, <laughs> Duke, are we in agreement on this one as well? Are we all going to pick yeah. Dubs here? No. 
Yeah. All right. Dubs across the board. Liberty. I'm going to pick a win here because I don't believe Hugh Freeze has got a replacement for Malik Willis. That Charlie Brewer. Charlie Brewer. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I'm going to say it again. I don't think he's got a replacement <laughs> for Malik Willis. <laughs> Fair enough. Man. I mean, Charlie Brewer got ran out of Baylor. Well, and no, they wouldn't let him play. But they wouldn't let him play because he had like 15 concussions. The only school that would is Liberty. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I mean, it's right, got to be his seventh year or eighth year, man. That kid has been playing for three different schools the last seven years. But are you picking a win or a loss here, John? Virginia Tech. All right, Andrew. Uh, win. My man. But I'm tempted to take a loss. I really want to pick a loss in one of these last two games. I feel like people are going to get mad at me either way. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Here's the thing. So at the end of the Fuente era, you kind of had to bank on losing one clunker a year, like. One game that was inexcusable. You you can't lose this game, and yet you do it anyway. But I'm I guess I'm trying to be a little optimistic here and think that that the Brent Pry is going to avoid the the playing down to your competition kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I hope so. All right, last one's UVA. Take a loss. Wow. Can't be all sunshine and roses. <laughs> wow. I just don't I mean, I feel like this is a six and six team. And at this point, I have them at six and five. Brandon Armstrong's a good quarterback. Yeah, my 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 moronic self currently has them um at seven and four. And I, I don't believe this is an eight and four team. Screw <sighs> it. Tech's beating UVA again. Yeah, he's got him at eight and four. Wow, I can't believe I just picked him to go eight and four. I'm an idiot. All right, Andrew. <laughs> to be fair, John's got him at nine and three. I got him at six and six. Uh, yeah, but like I'm, I'm always known as the pessimistic one of the of the trio here. Like, if Mike McDaniel were here, he'd probably pick him eleven and one. Um, but all right, so John's pick. John would never pick Virginia to beat the Hokies, I can't. right? Like I never. Just, I just can't. I mean, I'm I, honestly, I am thinking eight and four, but we've never played Liberty this late, so it's confusing me of why we have them before the UVA game, and then we have Duke and Georgia Tech before that. So, um, yeah, um, and see, those, see, those are my kind of goes. Yeah, this kind of goes back to my point that I've been making for the last few weeks, and Mike refuses to agree. The schedule stinks. Like in terms no, of does. talent level, like this schedule's not very good. Like, yeah, Tech's got a tough stretch in the middle of the year with West Virginia, Carolina, Pitt, Miami, NC State. But none of those teams are elite, and Virginia Tech can at least peel one win off of them. So, yeah, I, I, I think that this, that this schedule is really, really bad. And if we're, you know, being slightly optimistic, eight and four is the number. Yeah, I agree. Which I agree. is wild. I, if you had asked me two months ago what this team was going to be, I would have told you seven and five or six and six. Yeah. But here we are. I, I just can't bring myself to be that optimistic about a team that we just don't know that much about. Well, so, Tech's going to blow out Old Dominion by like 24, and Andrew's going to come on the podcast the, the, the following day and be I like, all wrong. right, boys, eight and four is in <laughs> the oven. Gonna, I mean, that could happen again. <laughs> I literally have never seen our quarterback for any of our wide receivers. We don't yeah. know who the starting running back is going to be right now. The offensive line, again, is one or two injuries away, if you're bad, for really putting you in uncharted territory. The defense was okay last year. If they could take a step forward, they could be the anchor of the team. But that's making an assumption. A lot of things could happen. Right. I believe that this team has a four-win floor. And like a nine-win ceiling, and yeah. with this with with this many unknowns, you, you could live in a world with that kind of variation. But to me, to your point, Ricky, I kind of believe in NC State. So I will say NC State is the one game on the schedule where I'd be truly surprised if they lost. And I would say that Duke, 
He's the one game I mean, on the schedule that if the Hokies got upset, I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Georgia Tech probably can be in that category too. Liberty just spooks me because it's on the road. It's that late in the season. Uh, but a lot could happen. But Boston College, Wofford, of course. They should be able to be Wofford. But, you know, Boston College, West Virginia, Carolina, Pitt, Miami, Georgia Tech, Liberty, UVA. Those games sitting here in August could go either way. And I think they should all be competitive. So it's at least going to be a fun season for the viewer. It's just going to, you know, it's going to be on the coaching staff and on Tech to figure out a way to close out those close games in a way that the predecessor just couldn't seem to do more often than not. Yeah, so the the thing I'm looking at is this team didn't get blown out last year. They they were three or four plays from winning a lot of games. A lot of games. So that's what that's, I mean. We lost a lot of players. Granted, we did, but we also returned, you know, half of the defense or somewhat of the defense. So with the new offense, we're going to see that playbook opening up more. We're going to see Grant Wells slinging it. We don't, like you said, we don't have a receiver. There are going to be some guys that's going to surprise us. I think Smith's going to have a big year, but I just think this team did not get blown out. They just couldn't finish football games, and I think that's the mentality now is to finish football games, and it's not okay to lose. And I think that's the major thing that, that Brent Pry is coming in here saying that this team is like, you know, when he came in there, he, I heard a press conference, he was like, we, we, we're, we're thinking losing is normal. That, that, that shouldn't be the mentality here. Um, so that's why I got them so high. And I, like you said, the schedule sucks. This is the worst schedule I've seen um, since we played, you know, with Liberty freaking week, uh, you know, week 11, like, come on. Like, this schedule is a cakewalk, and we should definitely win more than seven games, in my opinion. All right. Any last words, boys? Go to Main Street Pharmacy for your prescriptions if you live in Blacksburg. Yeah. Rate, review, subscribe. Make sure you follow all everyone on Twitter. Mike McDaniels at MikeMcDanielSI. Andrew is still at Andrew Alex Radio. John, what's your Twitter handle? JGLog1993. Yes. And I'm at Ricky the Blue still. Um, like I said, I'll be at the, the ODU game. Um, looking forward to that. And uh, I will see you guys in Blacksburg several times this season, I'm sure. Let's do it, brother. As always, go Hokies.